This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Rod Hebring, President and CEO of Compere Financial. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. Global sugar subsidies are increasing and a threat to 142,000 sugar industry jobs in the U.S. Learn more about the American Sugar Alliance Zero for Zero Sugar Policy at SugarAlliance.org. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Compere Financial's Rod Hebrink next. Sugar subsidies in 120 countries are on the rise and threatening 142,000 U.S. jobs. That's why the American Sugar Alliance is pushing for a global subsidy ceasefire. Their goal is a subsidy-free world market that fosters efficiency. And they know that unilateral disarmament of America's no-cost policy without concessions from abroad will only outsource U.S. jobs and reward foreign subsidizers. The plan is called the Zero for Zero Sugar Policy. And you can learn more at SugarAlliance.org. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. A tariff war on top of a long slide in the ag economy has created a very difficult financial picture for a number of farmers across the country. Rod Hebrink, president and CEO of Compere Financial, says today's farm balance sheet doesn't compare to the downturn of the 80s, partly because farmers and lenders both learned some valuable lessons nearly four decades ago. From a lender perspective, uh, I think too many of the lenders were collateral-based lenders in the 1980s, and farmland was increasing in value, and and lenders felt comfortable saying, well, the, the farmland is going up in value, they're not making any more of it, it's not going to go down in value, uh, and we're, we're comfortable lending against it. And then when the cash flow goes away uh, because of, of fluctuations in commodity prices, well, we find out that land values and equipment values and other other assets in agriculture can indeed drop in value, and they did, and there were significant losses as a result of that. Uh, there's a corollary in that lesson for our producers as well, because they were comfortable leveraging up their balance sheets uh, because of, of again, the, the value of the collateral that were there. Uh, and so both sides have understood the importance of cash flow and what what's sustainable long-term in agriculture and on the basis of income and not on, on collateral values. Uh, that has, I think, strengthened agriculture going into our current setting, made us less vulnerable to the downturn that we're experiencing today. Now, you can't sustain that forever, but we are not yet seeing the, the kind of pain uh, that we did in the 80s, partly because the balance sheet of agriculture was much, much stronger coming into this downturn than it was 30-plus years ago. If agriculture is a patient, let's assess it. Where do you see it today? Because we've got months now where we have been on a fall, and then we come to a tariff war that has added insult into injury. Assess what you see now in your region from the country overall. Okay, and, and you're right. This has been going on a while, and, and I think for those outside of agriculture, that's hard to understand because you can we can have producers in the grain industry, for example, who've been sustaining losses for four years. That's not just a a blip. That's that's uh, becoming a, a a trend in in their operations. Um, so as a patient, well, it's more than a cold. We're we're experiencing a good case of the flu. It doesn't feel very good right now in agriculture, but we're not yet at a at a point where it's a, a critical illness that 
is threatening the life. People don't feel very good in agriculture today. And if you or I and, and we were going to work every day and didn't get paid for three to four years, you understand the level of that pain and, and frustration in agriculture. And that's where we have producers. They haven't been paid in three to four years in many of our industries. You have dairy farmers who obviously are suffering right now. I'm thinking about the young producer. I'm thinking about those operations that were gearing up, that were trying to get their feet set on the tail end of the, the appreciation that we were seeing in the industry. Mm-hmm. Who's vulnerable today, and are you seeing an increase uh, in operating loans, or are you seeing some challenges now for these people that are looking forward to 2019? Well, you, you mentioned young producers, and it, I don't think it matters the industry that you're in. It isn't just the strength of the management and the, the business plan. There's also some timing involved, and part of that is luck. And so if you came into the industry at the wrong time, at just an inopportune time, it's a real challenge. And so if you're a young producer, particularly if you don't have a family backing you and you're in a dairy dairy situation, there is no cash flow. You're in a lost situation, and you are far less likely to be able to, to sustain that uh, that loss than someone who's been in the business for 30 years. I think that's that's understandable for all of us. But you mentioned dairy. Dairy is the weakest portion of our portfolio, and it's because those losses have been deeper in the dairy industry and more sustained for about the last four years. There's been little uh, short periods of time along the way where it started to get a little brighter, but they were very short-lived, and so producers didn't have a chance to rebuild their balance sheet. That happened earlier this year when we, we began coming out of uh, prices began to improve, and then we got into the tariff situation, uh, both with China but as well as, as Canada and Mexico, two of our largest agricultural trading partners, and the, and the price of milk dipped back down to lost levels. And so we have seen significant losses in the dairy portfolio, significant numbers of dairy farmers exiting the business. And one of, Wisconsin is, is a key state that we operate in, and Wisconsin has about 8,700 dairy producers. They're on pace to lose about 700 dairy producers in the state of Wisconsin this year, and they're not coming back. And so those we're going to continue to see a consolidation in the dairy industry and a, and a shrinkage of the numbers of dairy producers. Talk about land and land values in your area and what do you expect? That has been one of the, I guess, pleasant surprises to date in the in the downturn in, in agriculture. We had a run-up in land values um, all throughout the late uh, t- 2006 to 2012. Um, and we've come off those peaks. And it might be 15 to 20 percent off of those peaks. But as we look at average land values across, whether it's Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, there hasn't been significant change over the last few years. Uh, And if you look at year to year now, from 2017 into 2018, we're talking plus or minus one, one and a half percent, depending on where you are. Uh, So, again, I think that that speaks to the strength of the balance sheets in agriculture and the level of preparedness that producers had uh, coming into the downturn. Now... As things continue and we have the potential to see more stressed sales coming out of the market, then you we could potentially see more pressure on land values. But so far, uh, of a lot of stability. So Washington now has the voice of the voter. The midterms are over. We have a Republican Senate. We have a Democratic House. We have a Republican in the White House. 
and we are past time on a farm bill being done. There's discussion. Will there be a bill in 2018 or will we kick it to 19 and start over? From a lender perspective, what do you see that agriculture needs? We want to see a bill in 2018, and from a lender perspective, and I think a farmer perspective, it's the importance of getting it done and having the certainty of the safety nets and the provisions of the farm bill, knowing what I can count on as I'm coming in, into my new, new production year. So whether I'm a dairy farmer, whether I'm a crop farmer, I'm coming to you now. You and I are talking about operating loans for 2019. What does it mean to not have a farm bill? Uh, certainty and knowing what you can plan on, whether you're a producer or a lender, is really, really important. And we don't know those provisions of the farm bill, so it, it throws things up in the air, and as a result, everybody becomes more cautious. And when you're already tight, uh, being more cautious in a tight environment creates more challenges. You know, one thing we're good at in agriculture is producing, and it looks like this year, obviously, from a crop perspective, we're up with the absence of markets. We have a surplus of a lot of commodities. Some would say we were destined for lower income anyway because of increased production. But then you have trade and tariffs. How have these, these this tariff wars and between, as you mentioned before, the U.S. and Canada and Mexico and China, how have these affected from, from your perception of the industry all the way back to the farmstead? Well, it's been huge, and we can point to soybeans and dairy as two really dramatic areas that have been affected by that. In the spring, you know, the price of soybeans on the board were probably 10.20 a bushel. Well, now they're about 8.60 a bushel. That is almost all attributable uh, to the trade and, the, and the, the, the tariffs that have been put in place. China is the largest market for U.S. soybeans. About 30% of total production goes to China. On a year-to-year basis now, with current shipments, they're down close to 90%, and it's all because of trade. On the dairy side, as I mentioned last spring, we were getting to the point where price levels were, be, were generating some profitability for dairy. Mexico is a huge dairy and cheese market for the United States. Well, those tariffs are up, the cheese uh, exports are down, and dairy exports are down to, Mary, to, to Mexico, and as a result, uh, we have a, a significant drop-off in price levels and income levels for agriculture. Agriculture throughout... And I've highlighted uh, soybeans and, and dairy, but, but the overall industry of agriculture, we are an export-driven industry. You can go down the line, 25, 50% of various commodities are exported. And if we don't have solid uh, international markets, trade, uh, we're going to have income problems in agriculture. We turned agriculture policy from control of production to a market-based with risk management as the Farm Bill Foundation. We geared up for markets. We were producing for markets, and now markets have gone away. And that's a wrench in the system when you gear up and it's time to hit the brakes. I think what is concerning from an agricultural perspective, and I understand there's a lot of other dimensions of trade, but from an agricultural perspective is we develop these marketplaces over the long term. And you can disrupt them and potentially destroy them in the short term. So when uh, Mexico is not buying cheese from the United States, well, where are they getting it? Probably from the EU. When the trade tariffs are resolved, where will they turn to, to, to continue to export? We may not get all of that market back, and that's what becomes a concern for agricultural producers. How have the market facilitation uh, effort by the administration, has that helped? Has that helped everyone? No, it hasn't helped everyone, uh, and I don't know that it was intended to, and nor are there really probably sufficient dollars in the budget to allow it to happen. 
but you saw the $12 billion that the administration made available to agriculture, and, and clearly that's helpful. Much of that, about half of that, goes to soybean producers because they were hit very hard by the China tariffs. Uh, but the rest of it is, is really pretty minimal to offset the disruption in the price level changes that we saw as a result of trade. How important for that second tranche that might be seen in December? Well, for the soybean producers, it's very important because uh, there's about a dollar sixty-five a bushel that was uh, designated for for soybean producers. Half of that was going to be paid early, and then uh, more recently has been the announcement for the second half of, of those payments to come to producers. Rod, last week, Senate Ag Chairman Pat Roberts said the four principal negotiators were, quote, very close to a deal on a new farm bill. So if the 18 bill were to maintain Title I with ARC and with PLC, as well as crop insurance, is that enough of a safety net for farmers in today's ag economy, from your opinion? The general answer would be yes, and you could certainly find individual commodities or sectors of agriculture where we'd say, um, no, they may not be. But, you know, agriculture has lessened its dependent on government over the last couple of decades, no question about that. And what, what agriculture, by and large, is looking for are those safety nets from a catastrophic point of view, not to, to guarantee anybody a specific level of income. And so for, for agriculture, particularly Midwestern agriculture, those provisions in the Farm Bill for crop insurance were critical. We need those, those safety net provisions, and crop insurance, by and large, came through pretty much intact in the Farm Bill. I'd say from a credit title portion of the farm bill those were we we liked what we saw in that portion of the farm bill as well and there was increasing of guarantees for the the farm service agency a separate agency of the government but but who that works with private lenders to guarantee loans where farmers are going through distress and those provisions or uh, guarantee levels were being increased in the farm bill so by and large yeah agriculture was was getting the safety net and the support that it felt we needed through this process. Some fear that if we kick the can into 19 and that we start over, then you might see challenges again with regard to economics of scale, not supporting the larger farmer as much. You might see challenges again to crop insurance. You might see challenges to the farm bill overall. How important to maintain? Well, the crop insurance, and I'm glad you brought that up, crop insurance is one of those critical areas for agriculture. And you're right, within this conversation about the farm bill, there have been those in, on Capitol Hill who have wanted to substantially change or weaken crop insurance, put caps on the subsidy levels. And while I understand that and that looks appealing on the outside, you have to understand that it, that it is a private partner, public partnership in crop insurance, and farmers are paying premiums. No one is subsidized more on a per acre basis than another client, but if one producer is growing 3,000 acres and, and another producer is going 500 acres, yes, there is a difference in the total dollars of subsidies, but the programs are not fundamentally not viable and feasible unless you have producers of all sizes participating and paying premiums. And uh, if you take out the large producers, those programs are not viable for small producers. So looking ahead to 19, how now are you working with producers and not knowing what's ahead on the trade front? Well, we are. Uh, first of all, we're gathering the results from 2018. Uh, we've, we've had a delayed harvest in much of the Midwest, and, and that's, uh, that's caused some stress as well. Uh, but we'll soon be working with our clients and gathering those financial results and, and seeing, okay, how did 18 come out? 
and now looking forward and, and working with them to put together those forecasts for 2019. And what changes are they able to make? You know, each year you've made some changes, and so the choices get fewer and fewer as you continue to go forward. But uh, continue to identify what are the changes you can make to, to be in a position to get through another year, even if it means operating at, at a loss. How do you reduce that loss? So I'm offering you a stump here that's focused inside the Beltway. Do you have any request or, or, or message that, would you, that you would offer to legislators on the Hill? Well, you asked about the 2018 Farm Bill, and, and our hope is that that can be resolved and passed uh, yet this year with the lame duck session of Congress and not kicked over into 2019 because if that happens it means the farm bill starts over because it's a brand new uh, Congress and you open up all of those questions that have uh, been debated through the current farm bill uh, and just continue to delay the outcome and the uncertainty for producers. So number one is is get the farm bill uh, done and completed as it is. Uh, number two, and, and I understand this is less of a congressional issue than it is an administration issue, but we need to resolve trade. Uh, we really need to, to get the, the, the trade issues resolved with, uh, and have fewer of them on the table at a time, because right now many of our major trading partners, there are disputes in, in process that creates disruption for trade uh, and, agri and agriculture in particular. So we need to advance to the trade issues and get them resolved, get them behind us, and, and clearly one of those is the uh, U.S.-Mexico-Canadian agreement. If we're going to adopt that, uh, let's, let's uh, move it through expeditiously, get it done so we can resolve the trade issues. Will you breathe any easier if E15 is available to be sold year-round? Oh, yes. That certainly is a, is a benefit for um, a part of the, the corn, in, the agricultural industry, and crops in particular, uh, continue to s strengthen and create a new demand mm -hmm. because we've got 10% ethanol blend, and we're pretty much up against that blend wall in the United States. There's no more gasoline to blend 10% into, so the only way to, to increase that market is to uh, move that blend up to 15%, which is good environmentally. It's good uh, economically for not only agriculture but the, but the United States. And it happens to be the cheapest source of octane uh, that's available for the gasoline supply. How important to resolve the waters of the U.S. under the Clean Water Act in your region? That's been huge. You know, the waters of the U.S., uh, we kept extending that. I think most people, when they think of navigable waters, thinks of rivers and, and major waterways and not extending into streams in, in farm fields 100 miles away from a navigable river. But that's what where we were going with, with waters of the U.S. Farmers are good environmental stewards. I, I can say that you know, up and down. They want to be good stewards of the environment. But they need to understand what the rules are, and then the rules need to be reasonable. Uh, and that's the waters of the U.S., be, opened up an entire new body of regulation for agriculture, uh, which is already being dealt with by other environmental rules and issues and, and state agencies. Rod Hebrink, we wish you a successful 2019 and with your producers. We thank you for taking time to visit with us here on Open Mic. It's Open Mic, and you have the last word. Well, thank you very much, Jeff, for the opportunity today. And I think number one is for all of us in this country to understand the importance of agriculture and, and what it's done for us. I mean, compared to the rest of the world, we have had the benefit of a stable food supply, a healthy food supply, and a low-cost food supply. And we, we shouldn't take that for granted. Um, number two is, is to understand that uh, you know, farmers need to, need to have a fair return for what they do, just like everyone else. They've got a lot of people 
uh, and a lot of, of sectors of, of our society kind of looking at them and challenging them as to what they do. Um, you know, if you really want to have a voice, understand agriculture. Uh, understand what, what agriculture does and, and not just uh, come with advice and, well, you should be doing it, doing it this way. And I guess third, from just a policy standpoint, from a congressional governmental standpoint, is, is uh, let's get the Farm Bill done in 2018 so we can provide that safety net and assurance to our farmers uh, for the coming crop year. Our thanks to Rod Hebrick, President and CEO of Compere Financial, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. Global sugar subsidies are increasing at a threat to 142,000 sugar industry jobs in the U.S. Learn more about the American Sugar Alliance Zero for Zero Sugar Policy at SugarAlliance.org. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Allen.